Well, it's a rainy Sunday, but happy Sunday, everybody. It's so good to gather together and worship the Lord today. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Caden Harmio. I am the new youth pastor and uh, young adult director here at Coast Bible Church. And uh, it's been such a blessing to, gosh, since um, stepping into the role early in the summer to continuously work with your students. And as the year is ramping up, we're starting in early September and just going through planning our messages for the coming semester. I'm very excited for all that the Lord has in store for us. And also for the young adults in the congregation, in case you didn't know, we have a young adults group meeting that meets every Monday nights at six o'clock in the barn. Um, so we'll be there tomorrow night. So you're welcome to join us. Um, I'm very blessed in the past couple years that since my wife and I have moved back here that I've been able to continuously grow closer to this family, this body of Christ that's going on here at Coast. And... Um, Some of you know, some of you don't. I wasn't raised really going to church all that often. We were more CEO Christians, Christmas, Easter only. But I did have a family that knew and feared God. And so they raised me to love Jesus. They would read me Bible stories and take me to vacation Bible school. I even served at VBS uh, long after I wasn't able to attend anymore as a student. And um, I don't know if we have pictures up here of me growing up. There's some of them. That picture on the left there is actually, I used to do Christian musicals when I was in elementary school. So I'm very proud of that photo, actually. That's a good pose there. Um, But my heart was with the church from a very young age, even if we didn't go every Sunday. I did try and go to youth group in middle school. um, Tried it out for maybe four or five times, a couple of events. But I didn't really connect. I didn't really feel heard, seen, valued, and so I never went back. And that would be a theme throughout my childhood. I struggled to make and maintain solid friendships and find a community. So that's a theme is trying to find a community as I was growing up, and I was searching for that. Thankfully, though, God continued to work in my heart, even through high school. And so when I got to high school, I actually started a Christian club, and it was called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And there's a photo at the bottom right there of us meeting. I think I was a freshman or sophomore in high school there. And that was a community, or it was intended to be a place for students like me who couldn't make it to church on Sundays because of extracurricular activities or sports, wanted to find a community and worship Jesus together. And it was in that club that I ended up coming in contact with a pastor who was a pastor of a local church, and he was faithful in telling me that Jesus loved me and inviting me to his church. So after him faithfully asking for months and months and months, I finally started to go But it was really hard in the beginning. And it was hard not because they weren't kind, not because they weren't filled with the Spirit, but because I was so aware of my own brokenness and my own weaknesses. And my mind was so filled with negative self-talk that I couldn't comprehend the grace that was being preached to me. I knew it here, but I couldn't make that six-inch connection from my head to my heart. And so I felt broken and weak and alone. And I'm going to put that up against the backdrop of what was going on in the rest of my life at that time. I was near the end of my high school experience. And all things considered, I had a really successful high school experience. And I'm going to share this with you, not to boast, but to make a point. I was near the top of my class, straight A student, 4.5 GPA, 
multi-sport varsity athlete, hockey and golf champion, head of multiple clubs, leadership group, uh, theater society, and then my president of my own Christian club, had multiple scholarships, was pursuing admission to the United States Air Force Academy with a recommendation from the chief master sergeant of the Air Force. But despite all of that, despite having all that I wanted and accomplishing all that I set out to do, none of that mattered to me because I didn't matter to me. Now, my story doesn't end there, but that's how it started. And friends, it is easy to fall into the mindset that leads us to question God's goodness in our lives. It is easy to get caught up into the details and the distractions that get us to wonder where God is. To make us frustrated at not seeing God move in the ways that we want him to. And then it's easy to blame ourselves and to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders alone. But friends, I'm proud to be before you today to say that that's not how God sees us or treats us because that's what his word tells us and that's what we're going to be talking about today what is God's heart for us so without further ado please open your bibles if you have them to mark chapter 6 we're going to be going through verses 30 through 34 as we continue our worship in the word together mark chapter 6 starting in verse 30 Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Just a little bit of background here as we get into this text here. Our key verse is going to be verse 34. But some background here is that Jesus, as he's continuing to preach his message and perform many signs and wonders, is growing in popularity. As we see here, a great crowd of multitude, multitudes of people gathered around him for this. A lot of people are starting to follow Jesus. So he decided he's going to share the responsibility of the ministry with his disciples. So he sends them out two by two for weeks, months to go out and minister. And the disciples themselves went out and did all sorts of signs and miracles, no doubt endured some hard things. But now that they've come back, they had a lot to talk about. I'm sure they had a lot of questions. They needed to debrief a few things. But also during this time, John the Baptist had died. And we see here that the ministry was also booming. They didn't even have time to rest or to eat. So Jesus, being the good leader that he is, was gathering disciples and was going to try and find a secluded place where they could debrief, rest, and have fellowship together. And it was during this time that Jesus has said in verse 34 to have looked out and have seen the great multitude coming towards them and that he was moved with compassion for them. Now we're going to focus on that one verse right there. But I want to mention the miracle that comes after that. Many of us know it. It's the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus basically takes a child's lunchbox of five bread loaves and two fish and multiplies them to feed 5,000 men. It's an incredible miracle. John's account in John chapter 6 goes through great detail to explain a lot more about this miracle. And we could definitely dive into how 
God brought bread from heaven for Moses and now Jesus is the greater most. There's so much to talk about there. But what I love about Mark's account and Mark's gospel in general is that he doesn't spare any extra words to describe what he thinks is important. And it's because Mark understands one very simple thing about the miracles of Jesus, that they serve to reveal who God really is. And so Mark makes sure to include details that help support that. And that's verse 34. The heart behind the miracle. And we see that Jesus was moved with compassion for the people. Well, what is compassion, first of all? Before we can move on, we need to understand this. Well, our dictionaries aren't far off in saying that compassion is sympathy, pity, and or concern for the suffering and misfortune of others. In other words, caring for another's distresses or needs. But the Greek word that's used by the gospel writers and Mark here gives way more life as to the way Jesus feels compassion. And I would argue that Jesus feels compassion in the most pure and powerful way possible. The word literally translated means to be moved as to one's bowels. If that sounds kind of goofy to you, you know, we don't use the word bowels all that much. So it might sound like a foreign idea. Think about it this way. When we say we love someone, we say we love them from the heart. We have Valentine's Day. We put up all the little heart signs. We know that love doesn't really come from the organ that pumps blood. But it's a metaphor to say that these emotions come from a place deep rooted within us and within our character and the very being of who we are. And that's what the gospel writers are trying to express here. So we could read this and in other words say that from the innermost part of himself, Jesus was moved with compassion towards the people. And so the first thing that we just need to set the record straight with is that our God is a God of compassion. Our God is concerned with our well-being. He is not solely a God of wrath, of judgment, and of destruction. Our God is not different in the New Testament than he was in the Old Testament. That couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is the God of eternity and the God of creation. And we see this in one instance. When God gives Moses the Ten Commandments... And on Mount Sinai, he comes down and he explains who he is to Moses. He says this in Exodus 34. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Our God is a God of compassion. But not only that, not only did Jesus have compassion, but he was moved to action. This compassionate feeling is not just stagnant or fleeting. Our God actively responds to the needs of his children. And when I meditate on this thought, and when I think about it, I like to remind myself of 2 Chronicles 16.9, which says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In other words, God is actively searching for people whose hearts are open to his work in their lives. And I want you to notice this about the miracle that Jesus does here. The ones who didn't see the miracle were the ones who stayed home. And the ones who missed the meaning behind the miracle were the ones who were focused on their hunger and the bread instead of the man who gave it to them. 
And this echoes what Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, this isn't the only instance that Jesus has shown using compassion or being moved with compassion in the New Testament. We have quite a few instances, if we can get to the next slide. There's these ones. We have the divine physician having compassion on the sick. We have the miracle worker having compassion upon the hungry multitude. The restorer having compassion upon the blind man. The cleanser having compassion upon the leper. The comforter having compassion upon the sorrowing mother. The good Samaritan having compassion upon the helpless traveler. The almighty deliverer having compassion upon the demon-possessed man. And the good father having compassion upon the prodigal son and giving him a royal welcome. But why did I choose this text to share with you today? It's because verse 34 here gives us something very unique. I believe that Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us insight into the very mind of Jesus and gives us a why. Why was God moved with compassion in this moment? Well, as Jesus was looking out upon the crowd, the multitudes coming towards him, and he saw all the different faces from all the different places with different backgrounds and upbringings. He understood that with each face was a different problem and sin and dissatisfaction and very great need. And being moved with compassion, he thought to himself, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Now this metaphor of Sheep and shepherd is used all throughout scripture to reveal very profound truths about God's relationship with man. But this in particular phrase that Jesus thought to himself, sheep without a shepherd, is used all throughout the Old Testament. And in a few books, it's Numbers, Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all have something to say about this. They all speak to when Israel's leaders were not doing a good job caring for the needs of the people. And Jesus knew that the leaders of the day had failed in providing for the needs, so he was moved to lead them as their true shepherd. Which begs the question, what were their needs? Well, they're humans just like us, so I think it's fair to assume that their needs were very similar to our own. Now, when I was a freshman in high school, I took a health class, and we learned about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There's a little chart that we'll put up here. And... uh Organized from the bottom is like the most important. You have air, food, water, shelter. Moving up to the top, which is like most desired, but least important for survival, I guess. I'm sure we all can look at this chart and see something that we need even in this season in our lives. But I want you to stick with me here as I work through this thought. This chart was made by a man with the underlying idea that humans are capable of taking control over their own circumstances, bringing improvement, healing, and change in order that they might reach their peak potential and thrive by their own strength. That's the self-actualization point there. It's the idea that we have control over our circumstances in our lives and by our own strength, we can accomplish whatever we set out to do and bring change. Now, this sparked a schism in psychology known as humanistic or positive Psychology, And in their words, stick with me for a second. And in their words, they say this. The ultimate goal of living is to attain personal growth and understanding. Only through consistent self-improvement and self-understanding can an individual ever be truly happy. Meaning if you just work harder, if you just do more, if you just be more, if you try harder, 
then you'll be happy. You'll be on your way to that. You have the strength to do that. It's on you. Again, that's the self-actualization point of this. Now that, that was a lot, I admit. But we see this thought process because it's tempting. It's tempting to believe that we're the gods of our own life. That we have the strength to handle all of the problems that come our way. I mean, think of self-help books. I looked up some statistics here. According to NPD, which is a market research firm organization, it says the self-help industry has exploded in recent years by 11% from 2013 to 2019, with U.S. sales of self-help books growing annually up to 18.6 million volumes a year. The industry as of 2020 was worth $10.5 billion, and the self-help book category is one of the fastest-growing nonfiction categories. Or another thing that I see in the youth today is this idea of manifestation. The definition of that is to turn an idea into a reality. And on the crazier end of the spectrum is by thinking about it and visualizing about something that something is going to poof into existence. But on the more conservative end of that, by visualizing, you're going to be more trusting in your own strength that you're going to be able to accomplish whatever you set out to do. And I was horrified as I was looking into this to read that even Psychology Today published an article called Scientific-Based Ways to Manifest. And instead of using manifesting, they use terms like the growth mindset. So we see this all throughout society. This idea of self-actualization, taking control of our life, dealing with our problems and our own strengths. But what Maslow and this philosophy forgets is what the Bible lays out in principle. That when we try to elevate ourselves, we fall. Because pride always comes before the fall. When Jesus was looking out upon the multitudes, and was looking at all their faces and considering their needs, I don't believe he was thinking about Maslow's hierarchy here. I don't even think he was thinking about anything on this list. He was thinking about our need for a savior. He said we were like sheep without a shepherd. So we're going to talk about what that means. What what does it mean to be sheep? Well, the Bible, like Jesus here, relates us to sheep. And sheep in the world don't know how to find food, find water, find shelter. They're helpless to defend against against enemies. They can't protect themselves. And so literally without a shepherd, they are destined to die. They are totally 100% dependent on the shepherd for all of their needs. But when the Bible calls us sheep, it's not saying that we can't take care of our children, fill a bank account, work the nine to five, you know, doing all the things that we do in life. It's not saying that. When the Bible calls us sheep, it calls us sheep because our sin renders us totally and completely helpless on our own in a root of death. The Bible calls us sheep because our sin renders us weak and vulnerable. But God, but God seeing that we could not restore our own way back, that we were without hope, had compassion on us and made a promise to one day redeem us to right relationship with him as our God and king. And he tells us this when he spoke to the prophet Ezekiel. He says, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep, my sheep, and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. 
bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. Friends, I'm so overjoyed to tell you that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Because when he came in John 10, he says this. He says, I am the door. I mean, he's the way, the truth, and life. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus didn't come with kind sayings to make us feel good about ourselves. Jesus didn't come just to give us bread and to fill our hungry bellies. Jesus didn't come to help us deal with our problems, our needs, like that we're on Maslow's hierarchy. Jesus came to die so that we could live. There's a book I read years ago by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly, and I like what he has to say on this subject. He says this, Christ was sent not to men, wounded people, or wake sleepy people, or advise confused people, or inspire bored people, or spur on lazy people, or even educate ignorant people, but to raise dead people. And Paul echoes this in Romans, that the wages for sin is death, meaning the payment for the decisions that we have chosen to make is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this gift is by grace alone through faith alone. That God loves us so much that his compassion moved him to endure the most horrific of suffering in all of humanity. And this suffering is the passion of Christ. The word passion means to love something so much that it hurts. And this is why we as Christians refer to the last week of Jesus' life as Passion Week. Because it's the week that he bore on the guilt and the shame and the suffering that we deserved and that he took our place. For those of you that have your Bibles out, I want you to turn to Isaiah 53 with me. We're going to be going through verses 1 through 6, and I'll give you extra time to turn there. There's something special about reading it in Scripture and having it in front of you. The passion of Christ and the promise that Jesus would come and take our place. God tells us this through his prophet Isaiah. Verse 1, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and even afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our God, the king of the universe, clothed in glory and honor and righteousness and goodness and mercy, came down from his throne, clothed himself in flesh, was born of the Virgin Mary, worked hard as a carpenter. He bled, he sweated, he felt hunger. He knew temptation yet was without sin. And he lived the perfect life that we could not live, performing signs and wonders, 
fulfilling the promise that he told us he would keep and dying in our place and rising again on the third day, proving that he is God. And that by placing faith in him, we can have everlasting life. It is the compassion and the love of God that led him to come and do that for us. That it's his grace and his gift to us. Now, I had begun this service sharing about my own journey and struggles as I came back to church. And it hurt to sit there each Sunday as I heard about a God who paid it all for me. But I didn't think that I was worth very much. I couldn't understand the concept of grace. I knew it here since I was young. I've been taught about it, but I couldn't bridge that six-inch gap to my heart. I remember even sitting down my pastor and I just straight up asked him, what does grace mean? I couldn't understand it. Then God sent two men into my life who had become my closest friends and closest brothers in Christ. Their names were Dan and Keaton and they ended up inviting me to a young adults group. And so we ended up uh, studying scripture together. But one night we all decided to do a handmaking event. So we have photos of that. Yeah, really beautiful place. We set up hammocks along this cliffside overlooking this beautiful lake. And we would fellowship together and hang out. But as soon as the sky started to go dark and the stars started to come out, someone got out this massive speaker. It was awesome. It was really glorious. Doug, you'd love it. This massive speaker and just started to blast worship music. So all of us went to our own little nook across the cliffside to just spend our time alone with God. So I remember going to just find this flat spot where I could lay my head down and just look up at the stars. And as I was listening to the worship music, I didn't, I didn't feel like singing. I didn't know what to pray or to say. But the thought that kept running through my mind was, God, you are so big, but I'm so small. God, you're so big, but I'm so small. God, you're so big, but I'm so small. And as I kept repeating this to myself, I finally came to the point where I said, Lord, I surrender. God, I give in to you. I need you. I need you in my life. I need you in my heart, Lord. And it was in that moment that my thoughts started, stopped being, God, you're so big and I'm so small, and turned to just being, God, you're so big. You're so big. You're so glorious. You're so powerful. You're so holy. You're so righteous. You're so just. You're so good. You're so merciful and long-suffering and kind in every possible way. God, you're so compassionate and loving towards me. And it's as my mind was racing in joy and in worship that I heard my friend Keaton call out to me over the music that was playing, Caden, you better get over here right now. And as I opened my eyes, I looked, and all of the young adults were standing there arm in arm, singing the worship music to the top of their lungs overlooking the cliffside. And he said again, Caden, you better get over here right now. <laughs> so I got up and I went. And I remember the warmth of his embrace and the joy that was in my heart of knowing that I had literally been grafted into the body of Christ. And I had found the community that I was searching for for all my life. And that I finally understood grace in my heart and understood and believed in the compassion that God has for me. And friends, I testify before you that with just one moment, with just one look, I'm captivated. And I'm never going to be the same. 
And from that moment on, I knew that God is the shepherd of my life and soul and that he paid it all for me. And it was the compassion of God that brought me home to him. Just like God says, is his goodness that brings us to repentance. So what does this mean for us today? Well, if you believe that God is speaking to you and you've never made that confession of faith before, today is the day of salvation. The Bible declares that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Make today the day that you confess to God that he is Lord and that you choose to place your faith in him for what he did for you on that cross. And if you have made that confession today or in years past and have not been baptized, get baptized. In three weeks, we are having a new life Sunday with an opportunity for baptisms. If you want to be baptized, come and talk to anybody who looks like they know what they're doing and we'll make that happen. And thirdly, if you felt like you've been one foot in and one foot out of this fellowship for a while, I want to encourage you, go all in. Become a member. Go on our website and fill out that quick little questionnaire. It's two minutes. Commit to this family because we want you. And if you need me to say, I'm going to say it, you belong here. We want you here. And Tom and the staff and the leadership, all of us were serious about what he shared last week about further pouring resources into developing discipleship within this church. If you feel like you are in a place where you want to pour out to others, come and talk to us. And if you're in a place where you know you need to be poured into, you need to be led along the faith and discipled, come and talk to us. We're going to make that happen. But before we close, I want to ask a few questions. Because we can respond in all those different ways, but I want to talk about how our hearts can respond to this. Paul writes in Ephesians that we are to be imitators of God. So in reading the scriptures and seeing that Jesus was moved with compassion for others, we're supposed to be moved with compassion for others. We're supposed to love others because Jesus first loved us. So I want to ask, when was the last time you asked God for a softened heart? This world knows how to harden our hearts. And if anything of my time being married and dealing with all the sicknesses and hurt has taught me, it's that it's easy to have a hard heart. And it's easy to put up the walls. But when was the last time you asked God to soften it for you? And to have a heart of compassion for others. Next, does God's word move you? Are you moved by his word this morning? Do you see the world with his eyes and share his heart for what you see? And thirdly, who can you show compassion to? When was the last time you prayed that brave and faithful and even scary prayer? Lord, who do you have for me today that I can love and I can serve? And you might be sitting there thinking, in the quietness of your heart, life might not have gone your way. You might be asking yourself, how did I get here? How did I get myself into this mess? How do I get out of this mess? I'm honored to tell you this morning, there is hope for you and there is enough grace for you. Because at the end of our strength, it's the beginning of God's. And when we are weak, God is strong. Remember what we said that God wants to show himself strong on behalf of those who love him. We just need to turn our hearts towards him. And imagine what would happen, church. Imagine what would happen 
if we're all pouring into another and being poured in by others, if we are a church marked by compassion, imagine what would be happening. We would be a church filled by the Holy Spirit. I want to be that church. Let's be that church. Let's show compassion to, know, to one another and love because Christ first loved us. After all, our motto is Bible grace family. This morning you have heard what the Bible says. You have heard that grace of what Jesus has done declared to you. Now it's time to be a family. And I would much rather be a part of a broken family who knows compassion than a perfect one that doesn't. So let's love one another in love because Christ first loved us. So Father, we praise you. And God, we thank you for your word. And God, you are oh so kind and oh so worthy of all of our praise because of what you've done for us, Jesus, that while we were still sinners in the muck of our guilt and shame and sin, Lord, you died for us. God, I just pray that as we go throughout our week this week, this wouldn't just be a Sunday thing, but it'd be an everyday thing, God, that we would remember the word that you have spoken to us. God, that you would stir our hearts towards you, that you would soften our hearts, God, and lead us in your love to those around us. Give us boldness and faith. And God, I just pray that we would all lift our voices as loud as we possibly can, not caring if others can hear us or what they think of us, Lord, as we continue our service in this next song because you are worthy of it, God. You are worthy of our soul song. So I pray all of this in your mighty, holy, and precious name. Amen. Amen.